Welcome to this episode. My name is François Dutoy. Today I speak to Kate Holmes. Kate Holmes built one of the first virtual and retainer-based financial planning practices in the United States. And then we really get into the details. So I start off, we, we talk a bit about her origin story so that you can understand where she comes from and then sort of the journey that led to her to starting this business. Uh, we talk about, you know, is financial planning and financial coaching the same thing? Do they belong together? Should they be separate things? And uh, we then get back to her story and say, well, what were all the signs on the way? What were all the things that she saw while working with her mom and seeing clients and seeing and hearing all the questions they were asking, things that were bothering them? And then how that led to her designing and eventually starting her own financial planning practice from scratch on a model that nobody else, that everybody else in fact said, it's not going to work. And uh, we get into that. We also discuss the problem with holistic financial planning, which is quite interesting because we, we, we are taught to do holistic financial planning. But we talk about the problem with that. And then uh, we get into, you know, how important it was for her to run a business virtually, the automation she employed, the technology, you know, the importance of being lean and also how she kept records, uh, you know, in this, in this way of working. And then we talk about her brand new uh, podcast as well called Innovating Advice, a brilliant podcast where she speaks to professionals and advisors from across the globe. And uh, that has really been taken off. I think it's on 40 episodes about now. And then I ask Kate, you know, what is her view on the future of financial planning in the next five to 10 years? Right, I'll see you on the other side with Kate Holmes. This is Propulsion, the financial professional's catalyst to exponential growth. Are you a driven and ambitious financial professional, but you're finding it hard to break through to the next level? Or are you struggling to build and run your practice successfully? Join François Dutoy, a leading consultant and trainer, as he interviews not only the experts, but also people you have never heard of before, but who have done amazing things about how they run their practices, the challenges they face, how they overcome those challenges, their failures, which tech has improved their business, how their revenue models work, and other practical aspects. We go deep so you can learn as much as possible. And here is your host, François Dutoy. All right, before we get into this episode, I just wanted to invite you to come and check out the Virtual Coffee with François YouTube ch uh, show. So uh, on my YouTube channel, uh, you can find it. You can just go to François de Douai, that's F-R-A-N-C-O-I-S-D-U-T-O-I-T dot C-O dot Z-A forward slash YouTube, and it will take you straight to my channel. On the channel, there is a, there is a playlist for Virtual Coffee with François. We go live every single Tuesday at 8 a.m. South African time, and again on Fridays at 3 p.m. South African time. And uh, it's a live show. Uh, it is recorded, so you can refer back to it if you miss it. But I do want to encourage you to join us for the live shows. We have many great guests. We discuss any and everything that uh, helps financial advisors, financial planners, and their businesses. So uh, really exciting. We are. We have done. We've actually gone live daily during lockdown, and uh, we've now scaled back a little bit where we go live twice a week. But there are about 80 episodes already that you can have a look at, and it just keeps on going and going. So uh, also check that out. All right, let's get on with the episode. Hi, Kate. Welcome to Propulsion. Very nice to have you with us uh, today. Oh, Francois, it's great to be here. Kui Madak. Kui Madak. Well done, well done. Um, it's, uh, but I mean, you've been to South Africa like 8 million times, I think. So yeah. if you can't speak Afrikaans by now, I would be very surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I still have some work to go, but baby steps. Baby steps. But, and now you can't travel. I mean, that must be very... Very hard for you because you you you've got the travel bug. Uh, I think of all the people that I've met in my life, it seems like you've got it the worst. Yes, it's it's been really hard. And my husband's a pilot, so he's actually still out flying. He's gone for sixteen days at a time, sure. and so that just leaves me home alone. We don't have any kids or animals because we travel so much. So I would say if I didn't watch the news, you know, I, I might not know what's going on in the world right now. But it's that idea that I have to stay in one place and I mm. there's no vacations to look forward to. You can't plan anything. That's the part that like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I must say. So I've, I haven't traveled much in my life, actually. I always joke, like I've been overseas. but And then I go on to say, like, you know, in Cape Town. So if we fly down from Johannesburg to Cape Town, 
and the plane turns over false bay that's about what i've been overseas so <laughs> that's sort of that's the joke awesome. <laughs> yeah so yeah uh, but but our time is coming so we had kids very early my wife and i and uh, we've been looking after them all our lives so the last one finished school uh, last year luckily just oh. in time for all of this yeah. craziness that's going on and we are looking forward to doing some stuff so i'm trying to build the business in such a way that i can operate from anywhere so that we can go and travel and experience the world but i don't want to live off my savings when we when we go yep. so yeah baby steps we'll, we'll also get there awesome kate i'm really really happy to have you on the show i was very privileged to be on your podcast we're going to talk a little bit about your podcast what yeah. i'm really interested in sort of getting into is your story uh, you know the first time i heard about kate holmes it was I think it was when you came to speak at the FBI convention. I can't remember exactly which year it was, That's but then I Googled you. probably 2016. Yeah, okay. So and then I Googled you and I thought like, wow, this is amazing because it was at that time that I was doing, uh, I also had a practice and I started going more fee-based, but I had this big dissolution about, you know, that it's all about the way you charge. That is what distinguishes you from others. And I had a very rude awakening about that in the last few years to say what well, you can't distinguish yourself through the way that you get paid. But uh, I think that the, the things that stood out for me was the way that you did things. So I really want to get into your story because you've been you've been all over the world and you yeah. had the privilege of speaking on many, many stages and all because of what you've done. Yep. So so take me back. You, you studied in Australia, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. And you studied financial planning, yeah, no? <laughs> totally. No, Francois, I took the very natural path to financial planning by getting a degree in photography. That makes so much sense. You've got to have a clear vision. Right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I, I loved it. I Growing up, I was sort of the kid that if everyone was doing one thing, I would go against the crowd. And that's just part of who I've always been. And so I remember in high school when everyone was planning on, you know, going to university. And I feel like every single person in my high school was going to major in business or finance. And so my instinct was, so I need to go do something different. And I have never been good at sitting still and listening to people for hours on end. That is just, that is not a skill that I have. So the idea of going to university and being in those huge auditoriums where you're listening to lectures for hours on end, I was like, I can't do it. And I'd already done a bit of travel around the world, even when I was a young teenager. And I fell in love with travel. And I have always been fascinated with people. I just have a natural curiosity for humans. And so I wanted to combine my love for travel with my love and fascination of people and culture. And I wanted to be a travel photographer. And what better way to do it than you know to actually travel to get my photography degree? Yeah, and you started in Australia, right? Yep. Yep, I graduated yeah. RMIT Uni in Melbourne. Okay, and um, and and then sort of uh, what happened then? I mean, why are you not in photography anymore? What what sort of caused you to get out of that? So that's where it gets a bit ironic uh, for those that know how much I love technology now. I when I was going to school, I fell in love with being in the dark room and being in the studio and true photography of the light and being patient. And I was going to university during the height of the transition from analog to digital. And by the time I graduated, I feel like every photo that was in my sort of senior class was just done on a computer. It wasn't done in a dark room or in a studio. And it just kind of took the dare I say the sexiness away, you know, and I was like, this just wasn't fun for me anymore. And I really wanted to stay in Australia, really, really wanted to stay in Australia, but they changed the immigration rules just a few months before I graduated. And so I no longer met the requirements and I had to leave the country. And my mom had a small investment advisory practice in Seattle that I had worked at sort of as a kid. And she offered me a job and I was like, all right, let's do it. Cause that actually was already a virtual practice that was started in the late 90s. And she was like, you can still travel. You can do this from anywhere in the world. And I was like, all right. Yeah, it sounded like a perfect fit. And I mean, I'm just thinking now, like you left photography because of the advancement in technology, basically. And as yeah. you say, I think there's a lot of people holding on to that. that's the way that it should be. That's the real way. That's, you know, the, 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 the good old way of just doing it properly. Uh, and there's a lot of things like that. And I think 
just maybe if I can uh, if I can make some sort of a comparison to what I think a lot of financial planners or financial advisors I don't know what we call ourselves these days yeah <laughs> but you know what what we do is that we, we get stuck on the way that it was and that's the way and we we're not progressing and moving forward you know and I think that's actually a big lesson where like you I don't know are you still doing some photography on the side you know but no. nothing no, you're completely no I, I kind of I kind of say I broke up with photography because it was emotional it was like it was a huge mm. part of my life and it was what I did and I emotionally feel like we had this sort of you know cordial breakup <laughs> okay um, yeah because I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking that if we don't move on and move with the times, you know, we can get nostalgic about the things that were and, and what made it so awesome. And it, it will definitely be like that where, you know, you lose your love for something because it's not the same anymore. The thing that you yeah. fell in love with, it's, it doesn't work like that and you move on. But that's a conscious choice that you made. You know, it's not uh, that you got stuck there and said, no, I'm, I'm still taking photos with film and that you just decided to break yeah. up with it. And, yeah. and I think that's sort of the choice that a lot of people need to make. A lot of advisors and, and professionals, etc., that, that they need to make is to say, you know what, the game has changed, the game is moving, and I want to get a little bit into that as well today. But um, you know, if you're still stuck where you are, I think this is such a great a metaphor. Okay, so now we move on. So you are you are working with your mom, and uh, when was this? This was in two thousand and six, January two thousand six. So you enjoyed a financial crisis with your mom. I did. That was, I learned a lot. Look, there's something to be said for diving in when stuff is that intense. I mean, it, it forces you to learn a lot really quickly. Was your mom's business, was it investment focused? It was entirely investment focused. So it was her and her partner. So it was just two of them for a long time and running a really successful practice. It was sort of 200, 250 million AUM and it was only investments. And I kind of came in and I have always also just been obsessed with efficiencies. And she's really, really good with technology. Like I said, it was a virtual practice from the late nineties, which I didn't cool. even realize until a couple of months ago when I was talking to someone, it was just, it was what I entered as. So it didn't dawn on yeah. me. And she traveled the world while doing this and had, you know, meetings by phone with clients all over the country. And I was like, okay, this is great because it was just set up to mm. operate virtually. But yeah, it was only on the investment management side, which was not as interesting to me. Okay. So where did the, where did the light go on for you? And because you started your own practice back in 2013, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. So what was the, what was the thing that got you into that? And, and what was the trigger for you to say, you know what, uh, I love my mom, but I want to go do my own thing. I've, I see the world a little bit differently. And, and you know, what, what was the trigger and, and how did you get started? Well, it was a few things. So that was what, seven or eight years after I joined. So I came in and I also got to learn a lot more because being, you know, the daughter, I got to see behind the scenes of everything and see how an efficient business runs and see, you know, every aspect from the investing side to the accounting side, the compliance side. So I was exposed to all of it. And they worked a lot with retirement plans and going in and doing employee education. And it started out as group education, you know, talking about your 401k plan. And I started going in doing this because I've always loved public speaking. And then I evolved it into sitting down with employees one-on-one. -on -one. And again, going back to that fascination with people, I'm always looking at kind of how can I learn more about people? And is there any value that I can bring to people's lives? And that just was so powerful to me. I would sit down with people for like 30 minutes back to back. So I could have, you know, 16 meetings in an eight hour day, which you'd think would be exhausting. But honestly, like those are some of my most energizing days I've ever had. You never knew which questions were going to come at you. And I realized I was getting questions from hundreds of people on, you know, how do I pay down my credit card debt? How do I save for a marriage? We just had a baby. What should we do? My parents are getting older. Like it was all these questions about life. They weren't asking what did the stock market do or what are interest rates doing? And I just saw this huge disconnect between everything I was seeing in the media and at these investing conferences I was going to and what the people that I was talking to actually needed. And it was fascinating. And so I spent years doing this and I would say I've had thousands of conversations with people, everyone from sort of your 
entry level part-time up to your executives. And they kept asking me, they're like, who can help me with this stuff? And I was kind of ashamed. I was like, I honestly have no idea. It's like, I, I don't know. It was not anywhere in the world that I was living in. And I was actually at a bookstore um, near my dad's house where I grew up. And I saw, I think it was like the, the Idiot's Guide to Financial Planning. And that's the first time I ever heard about CFP certification. And I was like, oh, that was starting to put the pieces together. And so I went down that path of becoming a CFP professional. And even there, I had a few different moments of kind of thinking, I don't want anything to do with this because learning what traditional financial planning was, I mean, I remember looking at this and being totally dumbfounded because me and the creative side of me, you know, I, like I said, I didn't major in business or finance or economics. I was like, I would never pay $5,000 for someone to give me a binder with 85 things that I need to go do, you know, kind of telling me everything I'm doing wrong. I was like, I would never do that. And that just didn't make any sense to me. And so I kind of kept going and having these conversations. I did become a CFP professional because I was like, okay, I see how things work, but it doesn't make sense to me. And I'll tell listeners out there, if you have a crazy idea or you think something that goes against what other people think, I promise you, whatever it is on whatever topic in the world, you are not the only one. Yeah, it's just the, the question becomes, are you going to be the one who's going to take action, you know, do something about it? Um, and, and also, I think, but Kate, what, what, one of the things that's very interesting to me is that you, you sort of notice these things, but I wonder how many professionals or advisors, people, humans, uh, you notice these things in everyday life, but it just, it's just like it passes them by. It's, it's like they hear it, maybe they see it, but it's like we're not noticing you know, that, that kind of thing. And, and also, I mean, the, it sort of, it feels like the profession is evolving, but I also feel like the, the profession is starting to split into two, two sort of areas where yep. I don't know if the route that a lot of people are going down, if, if we talk about lifestyle financial planning, and I might be running a little ahead, ahead now, but, you know, lifestyle financial planning or financial coaching or financial therapy or transitionist planning or whatever these things are that, that people are now really going after and saying, because they see the same things that you saw back in 2013 when you started your practice. And now there's names being given to these things and there's certifications and qualifications. And it feels to me like there's a split happening where there's the technical financial planning side, you yep. know, and then obviously you've got product sales and that where people are more product focused. Then you've got the financial planning part and then you've got all these other things that's, that's happening right now. Don't you think that this is going to become a completely because for me it feels like that's a completely new avenue and a completely new career actually and it shouldn't be although money is involved i don't know is it do you think it's really connected to money um, or should it be more on the life stuff and yes i can't do anything about it without money but but do you think we should still link financial planning and financial coaching and those things together or should it be two completely separate things I think it is the same thing. And so that actually touches on sort of one of the biggest aspects that has driven me since then for the last you know 10 or 15 years is a lot of those conversations that I had with employees, I'm talking hundreds of them, were with people that were sort of age 55 and over. And there were a lot of people that you know thought, hey, I'm heading into retirement, I need to do retirement planning, but they had no idea what they were working towards. You know, they were just like, I don't want to be in my job. I don't even want to be in my marriage. Their kids were often grown and they were like, all right, we don't need to stay married anymore. They didn't want to live where they live. They had so much unhappiness in their life. And this goes for people with, from every income level, which was also really fascinating to me. And it was through those conversations that I just kept thinking two things. One, I don't ever want to be in a position that these people are in. They've you know, done everything, quote unquote, right. And they, you know, may or may not have gotten their degree, they got their job, they were loyal to their company for decades, they got married, they had kids, they bought the house. And so many of them were completely unfulfilled. And reaching this next stage kind of going, I don't have anything to look forward to. And that broke my heart time and time again. And then realizing through that, that clearly the financial services system also was not working. 
because a lot of people would come to me and they would say, Hey, can you explain this, you know, whole life insurance statement, or I don't think I'm paying any fees on this product over here. And again, I just kept seeing these massive gaps and trying to figure out what was happening and why this was happening. And that's a lot of what made me realize I just kept piecing together these little puzzle pieces. And clearly it took years, I mean, 2006 to when I started in 2013, but it is all of those moments. And we see that in life. I mean, that's even marketing, right? Marketing is you need to hear the same message over and over again. And so that also happens in our personal life. And so seeing that gap and, and having the desire to help people and seeing all these people that had not been served or had been poorly served or a lot of cases where the products and, and solutions that were sold to them were actually damaging, um, you know, just that heartbreak kind of made me go, all right, clearly it's not working. Somebody needs to do something different. And I spent a long time searching for somebody doing something different. And I spent about a year and a half before I started Belmore Financial researching other financial planning practices. And time and again, it was, you know, hey, well, $5,000 to create this document. And, and one other story on that, that was a, also another big realization to me. I'll never forget, I was at a company and I was, you know, doing one-on-one -on -one meetings. And this was in, it would have been 2010. So, you know, sort of tail end or, you know, right in the heart of the global financial crisis. And this gentleman in his fifties came in, nice guy. I'd met with him before, but he came in, he dropped a binder on the table and he said, according to this, I have failed. And it was a traditional financial plan that had been done by a financial planner in 2006. Clearly they did not anticipate the global financial crisis. How could you? And again, that just pointed out to me, I was like, so what we're doing is not working. Like every single sign that was around me just kept saying how things work doesn't actually work. You know, it's amazing to hear these stories and then I'm, then I'm coming up with a question like, but Kate, isn't that the life coach's problem? Isn't that the psychologist's problem to help people with these things? Um, no. You know, we like, obviously clearly nobody was helping people with this. I mean, obviously, otherwise, why would you get involved if there was somebody that you could send them to? Um, so no, it's, it's fascinating to me and I, I have a clear understanding of why things are moving in this direction and, and why there's a lot more value in this than there would be in, oh, you need to choose this product and that product and this is the lowest fee and that's the lowest fee. You know, it's hard. I have, I have many different conversations with many different advisors and planners and so forth that, uh, you know, some of them are still definitely on that talk, uh, sort of road of, listen, my, all my client wants to know is that their stuff is right. And it's fine and and that's what it is and then so so that is almost on on the one part of it and then completely on the opposite side of that scale is people saying no 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 i'm like part i'm holding hands i'm helping them go through different changes i'm helping them figuring out what they want how they want to live you know so so and that's where the value is and then i mean so, so you built your practice then from the ground up from in, in yep. 2013 and you you did not do any products at nope. all Nothing. No, I've never, I've never in my life sold a product. Okay. And what was your, what was your, your business model be behind that? I mean, it was, I think some of the things were retainer or was it purely retainer? Yeah. So it was purely retainer. And that was, that was another thing I was looking at and realizing how many people, when they do have assets to manage, a lot of them are already tied up in a pension plan. And otherwise I am a big proponent of passive investing and, you know, yes, you need to review it. So I would review investments with clients, but coming from my, the business with my mom and I did all of the billing. And so I knew exactly what we were charging people. And I would did all this research and client segmentation. And I kept looking and especially during the global financial crisis, realizing, you know, the people with less money needed a lot more service. And the people with more money were kind of like, hey, you know, their jobs are fine, they're business owners, their income isn't changing, you know, like they were concerned, but the sort of service requirements were very different. And that just inherently bothered me that people that needed less service were paying way more than people that needed more service. And so again, just kind of seeing things that didn't work. And so I looked and I was like, all right, I'm going to use my creative brain and just what would I do starting completely from scratch? And I remember I was at an exit in Seattle driving home and I just had this epiphany. I was like, I need to create the business that I would want to work with if I was a client. 
And that was the thing that kept coming back to me. Okay. And, and it's often where it starts as well. If you're looking for your ideal client, it's probably somebody that's like you, right? Yeah. So we get along with people that are like us, the the, the best. So, you know, if, if you look at like how you view the world, there must be hundreds, at least hundreds of people sort of viewing yeah. it in, in the same light. And how did you, I mean, but how did you get started? Because now you start this, this, uh, what was it, Belmore Financial? You, yep. you start this business and you're going to do it completely different from anybody else. And how did you get the word out there? Uh, or did you take, did you say, mom, I need some of these clients? You know, how did you get started from, from scratch? It was interesting. So I, I started to realize as I was getting out and, and sharing what I was doing, I got very mixed reactions. So I had a lot of people that told me it wasn't going to work and I was crazy. And I had, it was fascinating. I had more job offers in like the first three months of starting than ever. And it was so funny. It was these people saying, Hey, what you're doing isn't going to work, but I'll hire you. And I actually took that to mean that they were a little bit threatened by what I was doing. You know, I, like I could have looked at it and been like, Oh yeah, they're right. I'm not going to do it. And I was like, no, that was yeah. just, that was driving me to move forward. And I tracked where all of my clients came from. And because I was one of the first people to do it, then I think that did make it a little bit easier. I got like 65 clients in my first year and um, they were, it was a much broader range of clients than I anticipated. I was very much targeting people in their twenties and thirties because I wanted to start, you know, at the beginning of people's careers and talk to them about what do they actually want their life to look like. And I've had amazing conversations, you know, on people that are, Hey, my parents said that I need to get married. My parents said that I need to do this and kind of going, all right, but what do you want in your life? And I ended up having my average age of my clients my first year was 57, which super surprised me. And I even worked with high net worth clients, you know, 10 million and above. And they loved that I had no conflicts of interest, that I, you know, didn't manage assets, I didn't sell products, and that it really was just advice. And the big thing for me was that I wanted to create those relationships. And that's where I came up with the monthly retainer model. Because the idea of, hey, you're going to pay one fee up front and I'm going to give you this plan and maybe we'll look at it every year. Life doesn't work like that. And if ever we needed another reminder, look at what's going on right now. Nobody predicted a global pandemic happening. How many people have lost their jobs? People are you know sick and dying. And I've said that for years. You, know, you have no idea if you're going to you know, lose a parent in six months, if you're going to lose your job, I mean, life happens. And so you have to have that ongoing relationship with clients to be able to help them through all of those different areas. Yeah, absolutely. And how did you, I mean, when you started off, how did you go about determining what that retainer fee should be? And was it a monthly fee? Or was it an annual fee? How did you, how did you structure? Sorry, I'm getting into the nuts and bolts yeah. of this. Yeah, that's fine. Because I think it's very interesting as a lot of Specifically, I've, I've worked with a lot of young financial advisors and they're all set on charging fees and having a completely different model from the way that things have been working for all these years, specifically in South Africa. And I think it's going to be very valuable for them to understand. But like, where did you start and say, OK, so the retainer makes complete sense uh, the way you wanted to do the things you wanted to makes complete sense. But now, how did you determine that price point for, for what it was that you were offering? Well, in the beginning, I kind of took what the average planner charged for a financial plan and divided it by 12. Um, so I think my average fee was $250 a month. Um, and then I had, I had a couple of clients. So after a year, then a lot of clients would go on maintenance and that would be 150 a month because they really don't need as much. But throughout that first year, rather than tackling everything up front, we would kind of tackle one topic at a time because that's one of the things is it's so overwhelming for people, right? And then they get discouraged when they're like, okay, I haven't done it. So I was like, let's create a model where people can be successful and feel great about it. And people are so used to paying for everything else monthly, you know, so why not have this be that additional monthly charge as well? Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. Uh, <laughs> So I was listening to, I was at that other uh, conference before, before we, you and I started this afternoon and uh, Adam Holt was on there from Asset Map. Yeah. <laughs> he was saying he's a recovering CFP. So I was like, I thought that is so, because one thing I'm thinking about now is that, you know, we are taught as CFP professionals because I'm one, you one, 
that holistic financial planning. And But the problem with holistic financial planning is, is that we're taught we need to do everything at once almost. Or maybe maybe it's not taught to us, but we definitely receive the message in that way to say, it's always if a client asks you for anything, uh-uh, we need to look at everything, and that's where the over, and that's the first thing that I learned when I went into practice. In by the way, I also went into practice in 2013, yeah. uh, but in the on the traditional model, I joined an existing uh, independent practice, and obviously in the traditional thing. And then I s- went on and on. I said like, but I'm doing all this work, and I one don't get paid always because people don't always go ahead and implement anything. So that made no sense to me. And also there was no relationship between the money I earned and the work I did. So sometimes you'll do almost no work and maybe you add a little bit of value, but it's a lot of money that you earn. And other times you're adding a ton of value, but you're not getting, you're hardly getting paid for, for anything like that. And then if anything happens to the client, uh, you know, you need to pay back what you've earned for the work that you've done. So th- yeah. those were the things that I struggled with to say, and I didn't nearly get to what the, the realizations that you had to say, wow, okay, the people are asking me other questions. And I think that's also maybe one of the challenges, uh, you know, back then in South Africa specifically, is that people were so used to what we did as financial advisors. You know, they expect you to bring a product and to sell a product and to implement a product. I think it's really changed in the last couple of years, definitely in, in South Africa. But back then, that was the expectation because I tried to do different things, but then clients were like, no, but I expect something else, you know. And it was quite an interesting journey for me to go through that as well. And uh, I'm, I'm actually, like, it's sad that I didn't know you back then. I mean, to, to, to would have been able to have this kind of conversation back then would have opened my mind to something completely different. Um, you know, so on the one hand, I want to say, well, well done for noticing these things and really doing something to bring something different to the market. Um, when you started off, were you the first in America to sort of do this kind of model or did it exist? So it was super interesting. There are actually four of us um, and three of us are women that are all within six months of each other age-wise, but none of us had ever met each other. And we all started nearly identical businesses within like the first six months of 2013. And we were across all four time zones in the US. I mean, it was hilarious. And we didn't meet each other until sort of about a year into our businesses. But yeah, it was me and then Mary Beth Storjahan of Workable Wealth, Sophia Barra of Gen Y Planning and Eric Roberge of Beyond Your Hammock. So, I mean, obviously if you're doing something different that you get a lot of media exposure that they come to you that you have to go to them you know, how much did you use media to, 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 to get the word out there? I definitely leverage media. So in the U.S., we have something called Harrow, which is help a reporter out. And that's a great place to get media exposure. It's just reporters out there saying, hey, I'm doing a story if you want to comment. And that sort of started to spiral. And I created good relationships with a lot of journalists. And that's one thing for advisors to know. You know, it can feel intimidating to reach out to the media they're all looking for resources. They're looking for good resources. They want people they can rely on. And so that became a really good place to both get clients, because I had a lot of clients coming to me saying, hey, they saw an article in something and spread the word. So I was getting a lot of media attention uh, for doing things differently within the industry media. Okay. And then something I've, I've now been itching for about what is it now, half an hour that I want to get to <laughs> is the technology that you used in your practice, because that was a, ver- and I remember that was the thing that caught my eye. I was so like, oh, Kate Holmes, um, <laughs> I wish we could do this in South Africa because in my mind, it was like, it's not going to work here because we don't have the kind of internet connectivity and we don't have the kind of infrastructure that you have. But I mean, you started this, uh, were you in Nevada at the time? Where, where uh, were you situated? Initially in Seattle. Yep. Seattle, or in Seattle. You started off there. And then, um, because all I remember is like going onto your website was like, this is totally virtual. And we meet yeah. like, well, it doesn't matter where you are. I don't have an office. I don't have anything like that. This is how I work. So please tell me, like, and, and us, not just me, but us, about like, what was the kind of technologies that you used back then? Um, and then, you know, maybe if you if you were to do it today again, you know, what are the kind of technologies that maybe you would rather use now than what you used back back then? But I'm really curious to learn about how did you make this work? Well, a lot of it came from one of the reasons I left working with my mom. Well, first of all, I did try to implement financial planning, but kind of like you alluded to, right? Clients were used to working in a different way, so that didn't work. But the other thing was as 
much of an efficient business as she ran, um, it was always open for more. And so I kind of joke that I efficiencyed myself out of my own job because every single opportunity I saw, anytime I repeated something more than twice, I paused and I created a system around it. And so when I started my business, that was one of my first things. I was like, I don't want to be sending the same email. The idea of back and forth emails to schedule a meeting is like crazy to me. And just realizing how much I value my life. And I also sort of a, a nice uh, byproduct of the business that I built was clients kept telling me that I was actually setting an example to them of what was possible in life by kind of looking around and doing things wow. differently. But valuing my life and valuing my time and not, I don't like sitting in front of a computer. I feel like the irony around that, I still am that person that, you know, loves travel and moving around. So that was the basis behind it was anytime I was doing something repetitive, I was like, there has to be a solution. And the awesome thing is so much of the technology out there is low or no cost. And I am all about running a lean business. And I think at the height of running Belmore Financial, my expenses were US $546 a month. Oh, yeah, that's amazing. Where do you run a business for, for that? Yes, it's nothing. It is absolutely for free almost. Yeah, so that, that was the big thing is I was like, okay, how do clients find me? So I started with my website and that's, you know, whether you're talking to a friend, whether you see it in the media, wherever it comes from, people are going to go to your website. And I knew, I was like, I want to attract the right people and I absolutely want to deter the wrong people. And then I want to make it as easy as possible. And that's another key point is I still see a lot of advisors that I feel like, you know, it can feel prestigious to kind of think, say, hey, there are all these barriers you have to go through. It's terrifying to talk about your money. A lot of people have had bad experiences. Make it as easy as possible to work with you because if you've already done a good job on your messaging, you've already deterred the people that shouldn't work with you anyway. So, you know, this isn't big, complicated stuff. Just get your messaging right. And for me, I just had a little thing on my homepage that said, you know, I don't work with people that, you know, won't hold the door for an elderly person behind them. I don't work with people that... Um, like clog public toilets and then leave it there. Like you basically, if you're a jerk, I won't work with you. And that ended up resonating with the clients that did. And then I thought, okay, scheduling, that's a big thing that just, that's something that used to drive me crazy. Great tools out there. So I used to use schedule once with Belmore. Now I use Calendly because it is as easy as possible. Um, fantastic branding, super slick interfaces and then, you know, wanting to meet virtually. And back then, I let clients select whatever they wanted. If they were used to doing FaceTime with their grandkids, we'd do that. I had some clients that just wanted to do the phone. So I was flexible on whatever made the clients most comfortable. And that any forms made sure they were all electronic, because that just made it easy. I was like, I'm not using paper. And I also joke that that makes it idiot proof, because uh, you want to make sure that People can't continue until they filled everything out. So yep. that was a big part. I wanted to make sure that we were getting to the point of having the conversations and that clients weren't getting frustrated. And that's something I encourage every advisor to do. And it's something I've even done for you know big firms is almost be like a secret shopper. So pretend you are a client yourself. What is the journey that you're asking clients to go on? How do they find you? What is your presence online? What does your website look like? How can they get in touch with you? Do they have any idea what the fees are? You know, what are you asking them to do for paperwork? So almost secret shop your own business to see, is that something that I would work with if I was a client? Yeah. And so from a, I mean, if you have all these conversations kind of thing that you, that you also then record these meetings and keep rec records of this, how was your record keeping yep. around, around this? Yeah. So for compliance reasons, had to keep records of everything. And I just did, I love bullet points. So after every meeting, I would follow up with an email with clients with just bullet points of what we talked about, pull out the action items at the top. And I really tried to keep the meetings more focused. So rather than have long meetings talking about 17 topics, I had more frequent, shorter meetings, which again, also built up a much stronger relationship with clients. I've been to clients' birthday parties. I've been to their kids' birthday parties. Like even though I worked virtually as I traveled around, you know, it was awesome to meet up with clients in person and, and form those friendships. 
Yeah, and I think it's it's one of the, the 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 benefits of doing the shorter, more frequent. I mean, if you think about it, if you have one long meeting, let's say an hour and a half or two hour meeting once a year, or you have five meetings of half an hour a year, I mean, it's like it's it's a bit longer in time, but there's it's that it's the it's the number of contacts that you have with that client that starts building that relationship. You speak to them today, you speak to them again next month, and again the month after. You know, it's that frequency that actually makes this relationship built much faster rather than having one long meeting and then just another year go by and sometimes more before you speak to them again. And sending emails and WhatsApps and things like that, yeah, you stay top of mind, but that's not really building relationships. It's rather keeping contact, I think, yep. than, than, than doing that. So then you went on and then you, you took a job at FPSB, the Financial Planning Standards Board. So they yeah. are the people that uh, sort of uh, it's the custodian of the CFP mark. Uh, so everybody else, the Financial Planning Institute, I don't know the FSA, uh, is it the FSA in, in Australia? Um, F- you know, the FPA. FPA, FPA, so sorry for that, uh, the FPA. Uh, and then uh, CISI, I think in the UK. The UK There's yeah. a couple of bodies anywhere around the world, professional bodies that uh, is then licensed to be able to to run that in their own countries. Um, so how did that come about? It actually came about from South Africa and being down there. And so one of the fun things was I did travel around the world and I I grew up in Seattle and that's where my mom started the business. So that's what got me back there. But I just, I never wanted to live in Seattle. And so that's why when I started my business, I was like, I don't want to be tied to Seattle. I love traveling around and clients had a ton of fun when they would talk to me playing where in the world is Kate. And, you know, I would talk to them from South Africa. I talked to some of them when I was in Zimbabwe. Uh, my mom and I were up there and, and all over. And it was actually from the, nat, uh, the FPI Retirement Roadshow in 2015. Uh, that's what it would have been. And Noel May, the CEO of FPSB, was speaking. And he and I ran into each other. And it, it was actually funny. My husband and I are incredibly spontaneous people. And the day that my mom and I went to South Africa for a month, my husband drove everything we owned and moved us into an apartment in Denver. And so when I met Noel, he said, where do you live? And I said, well, Denver, but we haven't been there yet. Um, And he said, oh, our our headquarters is there. So we ended up getting together and talking and working with them. And, you know, I thought, what a great opportunity. I was already at that time, in addition to my practice, I was doing a lot of coaching other advisors and consulting with you know banks and big companies and i realized my personal mission kind of shifted as i sort of went down the path of creating belmore and seeing all that and seeing how important it was to get the message out of the evolution that's needed in the profession i realized that i actually feel more personally fulfilled if i can better help more advisors better help more clients so so you did that for what about three three and a half years i think um, yes. that you were like, and there you got to travel and, and meet people. And I mean, that must have been your dream job uh, in terms of, because uh, I mean, how, how awesome is that? Just combining your love for travel, your love for people, and then this mission that you're on, you know? So it seems like sort of the perfect job. And um, you did that for, for a good while. And yeah. uh, then you decided to get out and uh, you took some time off. And then you started something that obviously that's where, where you and I really connected was when you started the Innovating Advice podcast, uh, which I must really commend you on. I've, I've talked about it on my show. I've recommended it to people. So you've got to listen you. to this. And I've been listening. I haven't listened to all the episodes, but I've listened to most of them. And uh, I must say, it's just, it, it's just, it's fantastic. It is, there's always something new and something unique that, that you bring to the table. And the fact that you've got this global audience, I think that is, you just took it a, a step up from from the other podcasts that are possibly available in that space but what was the real reason that you got into what made you decide like okay podcasting let me start that podcast what what is it that got you over that over that hump well public speaking has always been probably my favorite thing to do i was sort of a drama kid and i just it's such a great way to meet people to spread messages and so trying to think of you know how can i do that in a way that reaches a lot of people. And I looked at, you know, kind of doing a virtual summit or something, but a lot of it came from both my time and, you know, coaching advisors and and traveling 
with Belmore and then also with FDSB and being part of these global conversations and how many people I met that were saying, hey, I'm curious what's going on in the UK or in Australia or the US. And I got to be part of those conversations and I realized most people don't get to be a part of it. So having all the connections that I did around the world, seeing all of the great things that were happening around the world, I was like, how cool would it be to bring all of this together and sort of bridge that global gap of knowledge sharing? Because we're all in this together. We all want to see the profession evolve. And so I realized that was kind of a way of me um, sort of building a brand and sort of a version of public speaking and getting to share those stories. And I have learned so much. I mean, in addition to all of the listeners, the amount of aha moments that a lot of listeners have heard on my show, I'm like, I never thought about it that way. Like, it's just so cool. And it's a way of almost like networking publicly. You know, I think I've met a lot of people that I don't know that I would have met otherwise or would have taken longer. And so to find all these like-minded people is so encouraging because I do still run into people that are, I'll say, not like-minded and can sometimes bum me out a little bit. So I just, I love being able to build this community and, and share those stories with everyone. Yeah, please continue with that. It's really amazing. If you had to say sort of, uh, of all the topics that, because you've covered a lot of stuff from a lot of people in a lot in many different countries, yeah. which ones stand out for you? Like if, if I had to say, listen, Kate, which three episodes should I go and listen to? And you can't pick yeah. one. So, so which one, <laughs> which, which three would you say, go and listen to these three? Um, I really loved Dr. Mara Harvey's episode, which actually just aired recently because it was such an eye-opener. The research that she has done, again, when, when we look at where are these gaps that we're creating in the industry, there is all this talk and I see all these articles and I see conferences on topics like, you know, hey, make sure you're working with women. But then you look at the research and it's not working. So I, I love the research that she's done and how much she points out you know, unconscious biases that we have. And that's one thing I've been learning a lot about is, you know, even being a woman and a lot of things that I have encountered around the world that have not been ideal, um, just being much more aware of the things that we're doing that we really should be changing. Um, that that was a big one. Uh, Rufaro, Dr. Rufaro Macheka's episode, uh, where she talks a lot about Rwanda was actually um, fantastic. I just, I had an absolute delight talking with her and uh, uh, Clayton Daniels, he had Clayton Daniel had the episode one uh, out of Australia. XY advisor, and, yeah. Yep, XY advisor. I love what they're yeah. doing. I've known those guys for years. Uh, so he was a Amazing. great episode. And then That's I'd say fun. Carrie List, the CEO of FP Canada, which is okay. an FBSB affiliate in Canada. Just the things that they're doing on evolving the profession and even being a you know certification body, they have completely pivoted to looking towards the future. And it's so encouraging to see that. Amazing, amazing. So I hope everybody's going to go watch that. I'm going to link to those episodes in the show notes uh, so that they're easy to find. And then obviously we'll link to your website and all of that as well. Uh, but for those of you who think we're finished now, I've got more questions for Kate. Kate, <laughs> so I want to know uh, sort of how do you how do you see the future of financial planning? I recently spoke about the future of financial planning on one of my episodes on virtual coffee with Francho, the live show that we do. And uh, so, but I'm I'm kind of curious about like where do you see this going? So, and I don't talk about 50 years from now, you know, like yep. in the next five to 10 years, wh where do you think, you know, how do you see this evolving and who's going to become irrelevant? Who's going to become very relevant? And uh, what do we need to do to make sure that we don't lose our, our stride here and, and, and that we keep in the right direction? Yeah, I'd say the biggest thing and one of my biggest passions is when I look at sort of how I think true financial planning should be done. And you asked earlier, is a financial planning, is a financial coaching? Really, they're all the same thing. There should not be a difference. And it's kind of sad to me that there is still that difference because they absolutely need to overlap. And I've, I've always said, look, if you're working with a client, you need to first figure out the life that they want to live before creating a plan to get there. And to do that, you can actually go multiple meetings without ever talking about money. And just talking about what do they really want their life. We've got all of these messages that come at us about what we're supposed to do. And I think so many of us need to unlearn a lot of those messages. They were, you know, done with good intention, but I don't think it works in today's world, whether it's, you know, Monday to Friday, nine to five, we're seeing that shift, whether it's, you know, stay in a company for 30 years, whatever it is. 
But in order to have those conversations, the biggest shift that I would like to see among advisors over the next few years is that they turn inwards and have those conversations with themselves. And that's looking around and saying, hey, do I really believe in what I'm doing at this company? Am I you know, living my best life? Am I staying healthy? Are my relationships good? And that is what will allow people to tap into that internal curiosity that, curiosity that I think a lot of us have and be able to have the confidence to have those conversations with clients and say, hey, look, I get it. I, I've been there and I made these changes in life and really be able to create much more meaningful conversations. Because when you shift to sort of who is not going to be around, I was reading recently about Hertz car rental and they recently filed for bankruptcy and the article was talking about how, you know, they should have seen this coming. They've been losing money for years, but more than that, they didn't make any shifts as you know Uber and Lyft came about, as other car rental companies started making it easier to work with people. Hertz was just like, this is how we've always done things. And now they're going away. You know, we've seen it with Blockbuster and all these other ones. And I think that shift is coming. I think more and more, you know, clients and consumers and people around the world are starting to realize, you know, product sales being commoditized investment advice is being commoditized, like that's not where the value is. And I was even talking with a friend over the weekend uh, who's a firefighter and he and his friends, firefighters talk, they spend a lot of time together. I guess they all work with the same financial advisor. And he said, this guy just keeps pushing products. He's like, and I stood up and I told him if he doesn't stop talking that, you know, we're all going to fire him. And I was like, and I told him, I was like, fire him. Like we, we need people to go out there. We need the consumers to know that there is a better way of doing things. And it was, it was so fascinating to me to hear that story where I was like, yeah, he's not the only one that's in those meetings thinking, Hey, I'm tired of listening to you. Just talk at me and sell me things. That's not what I want anymore. Yeah. No, it's great. And I, I think there's so many things that we can get into and sort of talk about, like, you know, is this going to happen? Is that going to happen? And but that's going to be a whole episode on its own. <laughs> I think. And um, so I've really enjoyed this talk with you, Kate. If people want to connect with you, uh, what is the best way to do that? LinkedIn, definitely. I say I'm all, on all the platforms, but I'll admit I'm much more active on LinkedIn. So so I'm going to put a link to the uh, to to Kate's uh, LinkedIn profile in the show notes. I'll also link to innovatingadvice.com, which is your your website for the podcast. And I'm also going to link to those four episodes that you mentioned, so that people can find them quite easily. Uh, Kate, from my side, a warm South African thank you, and uh, I hope to when you're back here. You know, I think the last yeah. time I met you, or the first time I met you, was in the lobby at the FBI in the reception right. area. And I yes. actually I never go and introduce myself to anybody. But I thought like, because I was so in awe of you in 2013, when I saw you there, I was like, I have to say hello. And it took a lot of guts to, to do that. So, um, but you were so friendly and so nice. So, so thank you very much. Um, I really appreciate it that you were on the show. And I look forward to, to see where you go with your podcast and everything else that's going to happen. And you can know that you've got my support and I'll be cheering you on from the side. And when I can help, you must just let me know. And we'll definitely Wonderful. do that. Bye, donkey, Francois. <laughs> Bye, Donkey Kate. And uh, we'll chat soon. Wonderful. Thank you for listening to Propulsion. If you found this episode valuable, please subscribe and leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcasting platform. This will help us tremendously. For more about Propulsion and other valuable information, please visit our website at propulsion.co.za.